And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Father God, I just thank you today, God. God, this is the day that you have made and so I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. As I stand before your people, dear God, God, I pray, dear Heavenly Father, that what I say and what I do is pleasing to you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you in this place. Use me the way that you need to use me. These are your sons and your daughters. And so I will tread carefully to only say what you have allowed me to say. Anoint my tongue, anoint my mind to accomplish what is set before me to accomplish today. It is in your son Jesus' name that I do pray. Amen. Amen. So sports in my house is a very big thing. At any given moment, you can walk into my house and either we're having a conversation about the sport, some kind of sporting event, something that just happened, a team, ESPN is on, like it's just the life that we live. We love Jesus, football, and basketball in my house. In my house. So when my husband and I were dating, our very first Christmas, now my husband, look, y'all, he was trying to get me. He was trying to get me. We were just dating. So our first Christmas, he showed out. He bought me all kind of stuff. He bought me, I mean, I had perfume. I had leather jackets. I had all, I mean, he just showed out. So I got him in return, because uh, I didn't know it was like that deep. So I... Got a picture of us because I thought we were really cute. And I wrapped it up and I gave it to him. And so, of course, he gave me all of this stuff. And he opens it and he's like, oh, you know when somebody like is like trying to be polite? And he's like, oh, thank you. And so I told him, well, babe, that's okay. It's not. That's not it. Turn it over. In the back of the picture frame, I had put two tickets to a Detroit Pistons game and an Orlando Magic game. So football, in our house, we are on the same page. I already told y'all that was part of us getting married is that part of me becoming an Edwards is that I also became a Dallas Cowboys fan. So, exactly. I, now, I'm a real fan. I, I, I am a real fan and I really do go for the Cowboys. When I got married, um, you know, I, had, I was, uh, had a whole nother family. So I got a sister and a brother and some nieces and nephews. And I don't consider those my in-laws because they're my family. But I do consider the Dallas Cowboys my in-laws. They're the kind of in-laws that you like to see come and you like to see go. Because they will come into my house and mess up everything if they don't act right. So that is... That's our, so football, we're on the same page. However, basketball, we're not. I am an Orlando Magic fan. My husband is a Detroit Pistons fan. Now, when we first got together, when we first had Safari, he just always loved basketball. Well, he started to fall in love with the Warriors. So, 
aunt, I mean, my husband and I, we had our team picked out, but once he started loving the Warriors, we just became Warriors fans. We started watching them more. And so we, in our house, love us some Wardell. Anybody know who's, who, who's Wardell? That's it, Wardell, Stephen Curry. We love us some Steph Curry. Look, so let me tell y'all a little bit about Steph. If you don't know who he is, he has played 13 seasons with the Golden State Warriors. He's averaged 24.3 points, 6.5 assists, and 4.6 rebounds in 826 regular season games. He was selected to play in eight All-Star games. He has won two MVP awards, one finals MVP award, and four NBA championships. So Steph is doing his thing on the court. Dude, can we all agree, even if you're not a Steph Curry fan, can you agree that he's doing his thing on the court? So I started was reading um, about how Steph conditions himself, and his routine is insane. What he does is that he starts off his routine by ripping and running everywhere. So he doesn't start off making three-pointers and shooting his shot because what he wants to do is he wants to make sure that he builds up stamina for the end of the game. So the same shots that he makes at the beginning of the game, he can also make at the end of the game. So that's how he conditions himself. So he disciplines himself so that he can be the best on the court. Now, his individual achievements are matchless, but the one recognition that had eluded him until this year was becoming the, in the finals MVP. He had won almost every other accolade that you could win, but becoming the MVP of the finals, he had never gotten. So finally, when the Warriors did win the 2022 championships, Steph got his MVP award. So right after, you know, they have the post-game interview. So Steph comes up, you know, Warriors just won, and he has his, like, his little MVP trophy right next to him. And one of the news reporters, the first question they ask him is, Steph, how does it feel to finally get a finals MVP? Steph said, man, forget that, I'm a champ. He said, man, forget the MVP. He said, I am a champ. And so what I loved about that is that in spite of all his individual achievements, it was a team win that was his goal. So whether he got the MVP or not, not at the end of the day, he wanted a team goal. So coming off of healthy habits, we have a better understanding of how important it is to maximize our personal self, right? Were, were you guys challenged during that series to do some things better, to make some different choices, to make sure that you're living life the best way that you can so that God can get the most out of your life so that you can fully walk this thing out, right? So that's what we went through with healthy habits. Here is the challenge, is that once you achieve that healthy habit, you have to realize that it ain't all about you. That the, the success reached, the goals reached, it's not all about you. 
Because if you win all of that, if you reach your goals, if you see all of this success and nobody else wins around you, then it's not about you. Like, it's really not just about you. So pastors started this conversation last week talking about individualistic versus collective societies. So he said that an individualistic society, the primary goal of the individual is their personal goals and achievements. Do y'all remember him talking about that? And he said in the United States, for the most part, that's kind of how we live. Like we want our personal things, our personal home, our personal goals. We want that be, that is the main priority. But in a collective society, people are seen, they see themselves as part of one collective, such as a family, a tribe, or a nation. And so one of the things that he said to we had to challenge ourselves is that when we read the word of God, that that is not an it's not an individualistic culture. So when we read the word of God, it's actually collective. So all of the promises that God gives us, even though we can take them as individual promises, it's a collective promise. God wants you healed, but the promise is actually collective. He wants all of us healed. God does want you free, but it really is collectively. He wants a free people, not a free person. He wants a free people. Even when he's talking about debt, he wants all of us out of debt. He wants a debt-free people. Amen? Amen. So we are a team with one goal. As God's church, as God's church, we stand between Pentecost and God's return. And he has entrusted us with the earth to accomplish what we as a church need to accomplish. And that is that we are to go out and make disciples. So all of these, the healthy habits that you need to get in check, it's so that you can go out and make disciples. Your body getting healthy, yes, that is a benefit that you get. You get to walk this thing out. But if you're healthy and you never talk to anybody about Jesus, mm, if you reach success, and you get disciplined with your time, and you finally open that business. But you open that business, and nobody even knows the God that helped you open the business. Then it's for not. Then it's for not. So we are responsible for spreading the euangelion. That's the good news. So the euangelion, actually, the Hebrew word for it is basir. Excuse me, yeah, the, the Hebrew word for it is basir. And what it is, basir means to make an announcement. It's a royal decree, right? It's a royal decree. And so what we are supposed to be doing as a collective is that we are supposed to be spreading the euangelion, the good news, or in Amharic, Ethiopian, the yemesarach, the good news. We are responsible. That is our responsibility for us to spread the good. We are supposed to be making an announcement 
because we are kingdom spreaders. You all know that once we become Christians, we become part of a kingdom. And the church itself is not the kingdom. We are just an agent within the kingdom. We are set apart to establish and to let people know about the kingdom. We are supposed to be making disciples. Amen? Amen. So let's go to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Okay, so Acts 1, if y'all got it, say amen. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, they're talking to Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, this is the last thing that Jesus said before he was taken up. So I think if Jesus is going to say one last thing, and he knows that this is going to be the last thing that he's going to say, I would think that it is pretty important. After Jesus' resurrection, he commissions his followers to tell good news all over the world. So the Gospels or the Euangelion is that commission. Throughout biblical history, God is always looking for a people to be a witness for him. Being a witness for him is saying, I've experienced this, and I'm going to tell you about it. That's it. That's as simple. Has anybody experienced some things with God? So it is time for us to be a witness. If you look out throughout the Bible, after the fall, God looks for people to be a witness. So he sets aside Israel. And as a nation, Israel is supposed to be a witness to the nations around them of who God is. But they don't get it right. So then he says, all right, I'm going to give me, I'm going to give a chief, I'm going to pick a chief witness. And so he then picks Moses. And Moses goes up and he experiences God at the mountain and he comes down and he is a witness to the people. But then God was like, okay, so the one man that really isn't working because even though Moses is a chief witness, the people still are not listening. They still turn, right? So then he said, well, maybe I'll try a group of people and we'll call them prophets. And so the prophets do, but do the children of Israel listen? No, they still, have, they still have times where they go back to other gods, and they go back to paganism. And so he finally, get, we get to Jesus, and Jesus becomes the main witness, right? He sends himself down in man form, and in man form. And then the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus only does his ministry for three years. For three years. That's it. And in that three years, he turns the world upside down. 
But when he leaves, he puts the responsibility on us to carry on. And so what we find here in Acts is that Jesus is like, look, now y'all all have been witnesses. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit to empower you because you cannot be a good witness without the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit to empower you to be witnesses, and you are going to carry this to the ends of the earth. Well, that still applies. That applies to us. That applies to us. So one of the things that you see after the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples is that you see this fire lit and you see them starting to spread God's word to the Jews and the Gentiles. And he starts to spread and, and God's word starts to spread. Well, the thing is, y'all know the way that it spread because they were hanging out together. It wasn't one person. It wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just Peter. It wasn't just the 12 disciples. It was his people. It was his people. Do I have any people in the house? It was his people. And you know what they did? They hung out and they ate. They hung out and they ate. Now, we know we can eat at EMCC. Look, I, my, my kids, we went to a church, and they were just talking about this in the van. And they had some food at the church, but they couldn't have none. And my children didn't know what to do. Like, wait a minute, how you come to church? You have food, but it's only for certain people. We're not used to that at EMCC. You know, they're a little, they're a little spoiled, but they broke bread, which means they fellowshiped. So they had people over at their house. So they went over to people's houses and they talked about the goodness of God. And that's where people were transformed. That's where the fire was. They met together, the assembling of the saints was good for the training. So when you come to church right now, this is for you to get trained. This is a training ground. So that whatever is taught up here, whatever God is speaking to our man of God, you could take that, you could go back to your house, and then you can have a barbecue. And you can invite some people over, and you can share what God has done for you. So if you have a house, an apartment, you live with somebody, you haven't invited anybody over, you might want to. If you're like, well, my house needs to be clean, well, clean your house. <laughs> clean your house. If it's too much, invite somebody out to coffee. Go hang out and have a play day with them and their kids at the park. And it's good for us to fellowship. It is. But we need to invite some people that God is trying to reach. We need to invite some people, maybe that you might not necessarily. Now, your friends are good. Your friends are guards. God will put people around you to guard, to speak into you, to encourage you. All right, now, I'm good, sis. Thanks for that talk. Now, I'm going to go invite this coworker who God's been laying on my heart. And I'm going to go have lunch with her during break time. Learn a little bit more. That is how the gospel is spread. That's how we do our job. Y'all know we have a job, right? 
And the job is not just to get to heaven. It's not just to get, heaven is a benefit. The job and responsibility is for us to spread the news, the euangelion. That's the responsibility that we have. Because we want to see those people in heaven right next to us, but they won't get there if our mouth is shut. We have to open our mouths. God blessed you to be a blessing. God kept you so you could tell other people how you were kept and that what he did for you, he'll do for them. God healed you so that you could tell them about Jehovah Rapha when they're sick. God kept you in your right mind so that when somebody else is struggling in their mind with depression, you can tell them about a God who gives you peace of mind. God mended your heart when it was broken so that you can share it with somebody who is suffering from a broken heart. And you can tell them, look, I know a man. Let me tell you about Jesus. But if we come here and assemble together and we tell one another what we already know, are we really making a difference? I know him to be a healer. But Mother Washington, if me and you, this is the only place that goes between me and you, you know him to be a healer, I know him to be a healer. Have we learned anything else? But somebody needs to hear your story that doesn't know your God because your story will lead them to the God that they need. And that's what we have to do. That's what God has commissioned us to do. But we got to do it in community. Because here's the thing. If I didn't have a relationship with Sister Connie, I wouldn't have known her story. And see, I might not have all the stories to witness to somebody I'm called to witness to. But if I know Sister Connie's story, and I say, you know what? Man, that sounds like what Sister Connie went through. And because Sister Connie and I have fellowshiped, then I can share her story, even though it might not be my own personal, because it's not about me. It's not about me. So I need to know Deacon Chapman's story. We need to have fellowship so that I can say, oh, you know what? God did that for Deke. Sister Wendy, I need to know your story. But the only way I know your story is that if I fellowship with you. And all the stories that you need to know are not just in your circle. It's not just in your circle. You have to go beyond your circle to learn. Because if I am a carrier, I am an image bearer, let me show you what God has done for me, but I need to know what he's done for you too. Because then that becomes a weapon in my tool belt that I can use. Because y'all know this is a fight, right? We're in a fight. So after the upper room experience, we then get into Acts 2. And we see that the Holy Spirit is working through the believers. And they were, just as they were on one accord, they continued to be on one accord. So let me proof text this a little bit to you. 
about how people got together. Because remember, even though it is for you, it's not just all about you. Amen? Amen. So Acts 2, 42 through 44, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. I told y'all about that food. And the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. All who believed were what? All who believed were together and had all things in common. Acts 4, 32 and 33. Again, I'm proof texting it for you. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. With what? With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. And then was it just some of them? It was all of them. It was all of them. So we see that they're breaking bread. This is what they did. Now, I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading the Bible. This is what they did. They sold all their stuff. And they put all their stuff in one pot. And they made sure nobody needed anything. That's, that's what the church did in Acts. They didn't care about their individual stuff. They, put, they didn't care if you had two sheep and you had 50 sheep. We had 52 sheep. We had 52 sheep. So they all came on one accord, and they were of one mind, and everything they had was common. Mm, thank you, Lord. God gave me a house, but if my house is never open to people that don't have a house, then not all things are common. You can only go so far. I'll give you this, what I'm comfortable giving you, but to give you what I really, all, all my stuff? Mm, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I'll give you a ride, but let you borrow my car? I don't know. I have to talk to, uh, to Elder Jeff about that, see what it's going to do to my insurance. <laughs> but that's the kind of life that they lived. And because they were on one accord, because they were on one accord and they had one goal, they had one mission, Everything led back to him. Everything led back to spreading the word. Everything that they did led back to people getting saved. That is what we are here for. Yes, the blessings are good. Yes, the, the, the healing is good. Yes, all of the promises that we attain are good. But if we are getting all of that and no one is getting saved, we are off mission. We are off mission. God left us here to do one thing. And when we do the one thing, we get the benefits of it all. 
But he left us here to do one thing. You know, I heard this that, um, you know, it's kind of used that we are ambassadors, right? That we're ambassadors. So an ambassador is someone from a foreign country that is representing their home country. And so I started thinking about that. I'm like, well, God, you know, we are ambassadors because we're representing a kingdom, you know, that we're not necessarily a part of. And God was like, yeah, but you know what? We're, we're more than ambassadors because we're called to take territory. Ambassadors don't take territory. We're actually soldiers with one mission, that is to conquer. We're soldiers representing a kingdom that is set forth to conquer. Mm. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Ezekiel 11, 19 through 20, the prophet says that I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. An undivided heart. My heart breaks for the church. Because the one place where we should be undivided, there's so much division. We pick political parties, what side of the aisle you're on. Well, guess what? God loves everybody on both sides. Our churches are racially divided. They don't look like the kingdom at all. And we're supposed to be the agent of change in the earth. But we have a civil war going on within the church. How are we to conquer and fight an enemy when we're fighting amongst ourselves? We have an assignment. But it is the trick of the enemy to keep us divided. Pastor talked about offense. It's the trick of the enemy. It's a tool of the enemy to keep you offended. Oh, well, they didn't do this. Well, I ain't doing that. I ain't showing up. Oh, if she's over there doing that committee, I'm going to be over here doing this. Oh, they got her to make the potato salad. I ain't making a potato salad since they had her make it. I even though I know my potato. We need both. Y'all see how many kids we got? We need everybody making potato salad. We need your talent. We need your gift. Stop letting the enemy divide us. I didn't get invited to the birthday party. They ain't invite my kids to the birth. Well, invite them to your next birthday party. How about that? Do that. Stop getting offended and letting the enemy with these little things keep you off task. Because if you are to be, if we are to be effective, for our families, effective for the people that we are called to. And this is the body that God has given us to grow and to learn in. But because we're offended, we don't, we don't fool, I don't fool with that person. 
then we're off mission. Offense is a tool. It is a weapon that the enemy is using. I'm offended because you voted for the guy I didn't vote for. And, and, that's your personal choice. And, what does that have to do with people getting saved? God loves Republicans, Independents, and Democrats. Guess what, too? God loves racists. God loves people with prejudice. The thing, the culture, the, the thing that might turn you off, the, God still loves them. They might live a different lifestyle than you would choose. But where did God find you? That might not be your sin. That might not be your iniquity. But God still loves them. God wants them saved. When Jesus saw the masses, he was moved with compassion. He knew they were messed up. He knew they were doing stuff. He knew they weren't living right, but he was still moved with compassion. When they hung him on the cross, when they pierced his side, when they put the thorns on his head, he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Even in, when he was being abused and hung on a cross, he still loved them. And yet somebody look at you funny and you ready to cut them off. Your cutoff game so strong, you don't have any friends. Your cutoff game so strong, your ministry is stunted. Your cutoff game is so strong that God can't use you. Your cutoff game is so strong that your kids will not see the fruit of what God has placed in you. Your cutoff game is so strong that the success that God wants to place in your hand, he can't. You're so ready to cut off. What if God cut you off, but he didn't? He gave you a chance again and again and again and again and again and again. Stop letting the enemy use us. God is supposed to use us. God is supposed to use us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. God is supposed to be the one that has my mind. God is supposed to be the one that has my feet. God is supposed to be the one that has my mouth. God is supposed to be the one that has my hands. He's supposed to have that. And I'm letting that sturdy, that dirty, stinking devil use them for his good, for what he wants. God wants me to walk this way. But because so-and-so is over there, I'm going to let the enemy use me and walk this way. Letting the, the enemy use your emotions. Because you in your feelings. God gave you those feelings, but they're supposed to be a response to him. emotions God gave those to us but they're supposed to be in response to him God the emotion to break my heart break my heart with the things that break yours my God thank you father we have work to do we have work to do 
There are people that are connected to us that will be surprised to find out that we're Christians. They don't even know. How are you a Christian and people around you don't know? And I'm talking to us as a collective. And I'll say this real quick. Sister Raquel gave this beautiful example. When did you speak on Friday? Sister Raquel gave this beautiful example of the difference between condemnation and conviction. And she used this example of a GPS. And she said, conviction is like the GPS telling you you're off track. You missed a turn, turn around. You know, you were supposed to go left, but you went right. Okay, I'm going to refigure your route and get you back to where you're supposed to go. That's what conviction does. She said condemnation is that when you make a wrong turn, the GPS shuts off and just leaves you lost. And I thought that was so beautiful and such a good way to explain. So I'm saying that to say this. This word is not to condemn. It's to convict because we have something to do. We have work that needs to be done. Because when we're together, we can shake the foundations of the earth. When we work together, God will use it to accomplish his will. I began in Matthew 16, verses 18, and that's when Jesus, he was at Sisera, 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 Sisera. He was somewhere in Philippi. And he's standing at this mount, and he asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? And so Peter, you know, some said, well, you know, you, some say that, you know, you're a prophet, you know, some, some, so they're giving him all of these answers. Peter says, I know who you are. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And so Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock. The rock is the revelation of who Jesus is. He said, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He goes down. Matthew 18, just a couple of chapters down, he says it again. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you. So, so he's, he's explaining a little bit more how things are going to be bound and how things are going to be loosed. In chapter 18, he says again, Truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So where two or three are gathered, whatever is loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever is bound 
in heaven will be found on earth where two or three are gathered. Here's the thing. What I need from somebody, what I need loose might be in your belly to pray for. But because I want to pick and choose who I pray with. Because I want to pick and choose who I pray for. It's possible that some things that are supposed to be loosed and some things that are supposed to be bound, it never happens. Because there might be some chains and shackles Elder Jeff has gotten through, and so he knows how to target his prayers. But if I never take him as an option, somebody to pray for or pray with, hmm. Don't fall in love with echo chambers. Echo chambers are where you get around the same people and you hear the same thing over and y'all just feeding off of one another. And so you stay in there and you stay isolated. And the people you connect to, y'all could be on the same mission and have different assignments. So I look at, um, in Philippians 2, 1 and 4, it says, so if there's any, this is Paul. So Paul is the writer here. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love and participation in the spirit. Oh, no, no, that's the wrong one. Hold on, hold on. Let me get to mine. I'm coming back to that. I'm coming back. Okay, it's in Galatians. So this is still Paul. He's writing in Galatians. He said, for God, who was working in Peter. So who was working in Peter? God. God was working in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised. The circumcised are the Jews, right? So God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. So they have still one mission, but they have different assignments. Okay, so Paul is called to the Gentiles. Peter is called to the Jews. Still one mission. It's still one mission. James, Cephas, and John are esteemed pillars, and they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized, when Peter recognized the grace that was on Paul's life to minister to the Gentiles. And so they came into agreement, and they both went and did their assignment. So your assignment can look different than mine, but our mission should be the same. Your assignment can look different in the, in the sense where you might be called to a prison ministry. I mean, somebody else might be called to a boardroom. The assignment is different, but the mission is the same. But the mission and assignment both were possible because they were in agreement. They were in agreement. Okay, now back. 
If we are going to be on mission, then we have to be on one accord. We are divided and offense is running rampant. We are created to tear down the gates of hell. So when I was thinking about this, so at Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus is and he's talking to his disciples, literally he is standing at a place historically and geographically that is known as the gates of hell. So when he is making this statement, he is literally standing where the pagan god Pan, and if you know, if, if you know anything about other gods, Pan is the god that goes from the god little g, that goes from the underworld back to earth, goes to hell and back. That's Pan. And so Jesus is literally standing at the gates of hell. And he's saying that that gate is not going to prevail. He walked 14 hours from Galilee to get to that gate and make that statement. To say the gates of hell will not prevail. Here's the thing. We are supposed to be on the offense. A gate is not a weapon. If you think about a gate, right, a gate is meant to keep out. It's allowed to allow passage in and out of. It's not a weapon. But I feel like, I think that sometimes we see it as the gates of hell shall not prevail against me. I'm going to talk, you know, like the gate is coming to you. The gate is not coming to you. You're supposed to go to it. We are supposed to tear down the gates of hell. We are territory takers. We are created to have dominion. How can we have dominion when hell is still active in the earth that we're supposed to have dominion of? We are to be soldiers. You don't stand at a gate, you tear it down. You fight it with what? You are weaponized. The word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. That's what we are supposed to do. But because we have not gone and torn down the gates of hell that exist, you see the evidence of it everywhere. The kingdom of God is opposite of the kingdom of the world. You see people more, they, they're more in love with themselves than they are with God. That's the opposite. They'd rather be served than to serve. That's the opposite. 
They spend till they have nothing and they don't save. That's the opposite. We are supposed to be warriors. But not alone. It's impossible to do it alone. So God has blessed you. God has given you grace and he's extended his mercy. He's lifted your head. He's strengthened your back. He's girded you. But it's so that you could fight. And it's not to fight alone. Because what we have to do affects all of these babies in here. If somebody came into your house, bust down your door, and tried to get your babies, you would do every and anything to stop them. You wouldn't care if it even cost you your life. Well, guess what? The enemy has no respect for a baby or an adult. Just like he fights you, he fights them. So before you come to my house, I'm going to come to yours. Before you step on my front door, I'm going to be at yours. You have to take the offense. Before you can come between my marriage, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to tell you what you're not going to do. I'm going to take the weapon from you. Before you come to my business telling me what I can't do, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to speak the word of God that says I am a lender and not a borrower. I am above only and not beneath. That's what you do. You have to know this. You have to know this for yourself. You have to know this for your goals. You have to know this for your children. You have to know this for your family, for your sons, for your daughters, for yourself. You have to know this. That's what you come here for. We always say you come to church and you get full, but you should leave hungry. You know what I mean? You should leave hungry. Whatever's spoken up here should cause a hunger that you want to dive into this. That, God, I need you to take this, whatever this is, whatever I'm facing, because I'm going to be effective. And, God, when I get to heaven, I want to hear well done. Because I took the time that you gave me on this earth, and I used it for your glory. Paul wrote a lot of the Bible in jail. Don't wait till you get to where you want to get to, to start doing the work of the kingdom. My father, my Ababa, he's a man of God, and he's an Uber driver. That Uber car is the place where he ministers. People get in there, they don't know what they done getting into. They give him an inch, and he's going to take a mile. That might not be the platform that he necessarily, he can, he, now he's been all over and he's spoken to big crowds, but God gave him that platform to speak to and to minister. Don't wait until you get, until you arrive 
to do the work. Paul did the work in jail. And in jail, he saved the people that were there. He even saved the people that were guarding him. I tell my son all the time, he wants to be an NBA player. I support that. I support it. But I always tell him this, I'm not raising an NBA player. That's not what I'm raising. I'm raising a man of God. So that way, wherever life takes you, you will always be that. Whether you're in school, whether you're on the court, or whether whatever God has for you. And that's what God wants me to tell you. First things first, you're a child of God. So you might be like, yeah, Sister Yavrika, I hear, I hear what you're saying, and we're supposed to be warriors, but I just don't feel like fighting right now. If you would have known what I've had to go through, what I'm dealing with right now. But God says, even in that, you're still my child. Even in that, you have power in your tongue. Even in that, you're still weaponized. So I know that you might be weary. But even in your weariness, you're more powerful than you think. And because I know sometimes you will get weary... Forsake not assembling. Forsake not assembling. Individual goals are fine, but we have an assignment, family. If God only gave us Gulfport, we got a lot of work to do. If God just gave us the coast, there's a lot of people out here that don't know who God is. And they're not going to come through the doors of the church. They're going to show up at your school. They're going to show up at your job. You're going to see them at Walmart. They're going to be at the laundromat. God says, don't just be a Christian here. I need you to speak for me in Walmart. Look for opportunities. There's work to be done. My question is, are you ready to do it?